Welcome to Tales from the Dance Floor, a podcast exploring the lives and times of people from all walks of life who followed their passions and made careers out of DJing, producing, parties, dance culture, and the music industry. I'm Phil Morse from Digital DJ Tips. Let's get started. I'd like to welcome Mogwai to the podcast today, a DJ I've admired ever since I started DJing, or at least not long after, which was way back in the 90s. So, so Mogwai, thank you very much for coming. Thank you, Phil. Thanks for having me. So I want to go right back then. I want to go back to the 90s. In fact, I'll just spend 10 <laughs> seconds telling people who might not have heard of you by name, a lot of them will, um, that they've certainly heard your productions because as we're going to find out, you've produced across the range from the most underground techno right up to big, big pop hits <laughs> uh, and a lot of remixes. And you've worked with a lot of big names who who are, you know, smashing it today. So they will certainly have heard your music. And I also want to just add that if they were ever in a venue where you were playing, they would love what you do and you would have them dancing to stuff that they didn't even think they liked. So, you know, on both counts, this is someone you want to listen to, uh, listeners. This guy's got an, aw- an awesome history and lots to share. So welcome again. Thank uh, and you I want to go back to the 90s. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I want to, I want to go back to the 90s. And uh, you were brought up in Germany, which is you, you're a German, and it wasn't right. even a cool or trendy or particularly happening part of Germany, right? Just standard no. kind of town. And how did you get into all of this? Were you into dance music as a kid, listening to it under under your so, pillow on a headphone, or you know, or were you not into it at all? How did it all start? So I grew up in in Recklinghausen. It's a small town in the Ruhr area. It's pretty famous for their coal mines and their, their whatever working class community people. Mm-hmm. So it's not a not a hipster. It's not a hipster place or city like you know all the cities we know. And um, yeah, and at that time when I, before, before I started with electronic music, I was very into skateboarding, like skate punk and uh, did, um, yeah, master, German masterships in freestyle, street style, half pipe. From there, um, uh, I thought it's cool to, to have a scooter. Then I was, uh, I don't know how that happened, but then I was uh, accidentally, uh, was, a, was, a ma- was a mod. So I listened to another, a lot of Northern Soul and Ska. And from there, because it's very close, I also listened to a lot of psychabilly and rockabilly bands like, you know, Meteors, Batmobile, Guanabats. Uh, and so on and um, yeah and then we also went very often because Recklinghausen is a small town uh, for going out to um, to Düsseldorf and Düsseldorf uh, had a I don't, I'm not sure if they still have it but they had a, had a nice club which, which is called Ratinger Hof and it was more a punk club and there we went almost uh, not every Sunday but let's say very often on a Sunday, they only started at midnight. So, you know, not a Saturday. So I I had to go to school on Monday. So we went to Dusseldorf and into this uh, club called Ratingerhof and there they played uh, a lot of punk music. So, and we liked that a lot because there was a lot of crazy people around and, um, you know, who's going out on a Sunday, Sunday evening at, at midnight. So not so many people. So, and I liked it a lot. And then one day they, switched from punk to um, electronic music, to this techno to this very, 
industrial strengths, uh, hardcore techno, and I liked it a lot. And I very remember, I remember very well that the guy, that the DJ who played there, he was dressed in camouflage and he, he didn't even whatever smile or whatever. So he just dropped this hard banging electro techno and I liked it a lot. And I always wanted to play in a band, so in a punk band, but it, it never, it never came to that so i thought oh, wow why should, why uh, why um shouldn't i start with a uh, with a uh, djing so with buying uh, these new music which blew up or which became or which started became popular in the end 80s beginning of the 90s so i bought my first pairs of techniques uh in 1992 yes and then i um I started um, doing mixtapes and just trying to 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 get a get a get a to make a proper um, mixing um, with these records and um, yeah this is this is how I, how it started for me. So, what did your parents think of going out on a Sunday night with school on a Monday? How did you manage to talk them into making that one possible? Um, my parents, they had a, had a butcher shop. So, and I, I had to learn it at that time. So, um, and then I also finished my, whatever, my, my learnings there. And I did this, um, I don't know how, what the word is in English. I did it in my, my, uh, my parents, uh, company, little company. And my sister always said, ah, you, you, you have to go back to school. You have to study, you know, I don't want to see you ending up here in this butcher shop so and after this um let's say education of being a butcher i went back to school um from there to university and um yeah my parents they they know that i don't want to go on with this company so um they were like they were fine because at that time i was uh, 20 i think 20 when i when i went out on a sunday I love it. So you're a qualified butcher as well. There's something that some people might not know about you. So do you get on board the, the modern trend for veganism or has the, the, the love of meat stayed with um, you for all these years? I, uh, I get it because I also, I lived six years in Los Angeles in Santa Monica and uh, in Santa Monica and Venice and, you know, all these Catholic people, they're very into this. And so um, I, I, I understand it and I like it in a way, but it's, it's not mine. So, um, mm-mm. It's not you. All right, then. So so you're getting into, I mean, it, it's interesting you say that there was a club you liked, you know, and it was the club you went to. Uh, and the club changed their music. So that's kind of what got you into this. Do you think that there's something um, in cross-pollination, if you like, you know, young people go out and they know they want to go out. They know they want to escape the small town mm -hmm. or the, you know, the narrow mindedness. And they want to go somewhere big and they pick a club or they pick a scene or they pick an area and they go there. And actually, there's a little bit of a sense of, I don't really care what what's going to happen here i'm here now i'm going to just open myself to it is that kind of how it felt you were just open to, to what would happen and looking forward Absolutely. to any twists because, or turns. you know this this music was uh, i don't know if the right word revolutionary so it was different so there were only a few people who were, yeah. who were into it this was very um, tempting and um especially when you're also from a small town so you you felt uh, felt different in a nice way and there were, you know, there were all these whatever punks, gay people. You know, at that time it wasn't wasn't common to 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 go on a on a gay party. So um, it wasn't a really straight gay party, but it's you know it was a, was a nice mixture. And then there were also some some uh, how do you say tram, tram, travesties, travesties, uh, 
guys. So it was a big mixture for, from the audience, and for sure, you know, because of this music was so, um, there was a lot of anarchy, you know, uh, in it, um, and it just felt right, and it was fun going there, listen to, and also at home playing this, this, this new music. I think it, it could be for, for the newer generations, it could be the same feeling when they heard, when they, when they jumped into, uh, into dubstep, you know, because it was also when it, when, you know, when dubstep became popular, it was so new. Uh, I wasn't into, I'm, I'm, it could, could be the same feeling because it was, you know, like music you normally not listen to, um, normally you would, would never go out to and, so. Things like grime and, and all the new scenes that come through, they're kind of, as you say, they're exciting. And there's a sense, what you just said was something that I recognized when I was going out around the same time, the very early 90s, in Manchester, where I'm from, in England. And you would get, mm -hmm. the music you wanted to hear wouldn't be on the Friday or Saturday night. It would be on a, sometimes a Monday. And you'd have to go to the gay clubs, but it wasn't really a gay club insofar as everyone would go there. You know, that it was like everyone from all the different mm -hmm. scenes were kind of, kind of congregating in one place because they just liked the music and the music was new and it was kind of the only place you could hear it uh, it was a very a very creative time wasn't it very creative and like uh, you know there were there were records out from from lenny d on on like i said uh, industrial strength so then you when you when you uh, look have a look on the other rns catalog from belgium how versatile you know, their their uh, artists were like they they did records from FX Twin to Joey Beltram to CJ Boland, and um, it's so funny that you mentioned you're from Manchester because I played. You know, in the early '90s, um, a friend of mine he knew guys from from the UK, from from Manchester, in in a from a I don't know university or college, I don't know what it was. So, uh, and they made a party and they invited me and a friend of mine to to play there. And uh, we, we we played there on a student party. I think they they had they did one they did only a, a poster, so it wasn't really a proper promoted venue. But it was was packed, and and uh, they didn't have the money for 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 a hotel, so we slept in a student's home with all the other students. And and it was so funny because at that time uh, um, they had one one turntable uh, in a room, and they 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 put the um, the newest record from Underworld on it, and we were all so blown away. It was the track Rez, R E Z, and this one heard mm. for the very first time in in uh, in Manchester. And it was um, at that time when also when Junior Boys owned the record uh, became popular. And this time, I just mentioned it because it was so creative and so different, and not everyone did the same. So there was a big mixture from hardcore techno to kind of today tech house you know but at that time it wasn't tech house it wasn't for sure it was hardcore but um there were there were not so many genres around it was just yeah cool music it was yeah and, and because there weren't so many records around so people kind of did have a more open mind listen talk, talk to me about your first breakthrough you're making mm. mixtapes you're going out you're hearing the music you're soaking it all up what what happened to kind of get you on the map um, i started playing a lot of um clubs in Münster. it's a it's a uh, it's 60 kilometers from my hometown and it's a student town and there they did a lot of techno parties and uh, these guys they were very um, influenced by Berlin by going out to Berlin so when I went to Düsseldorf they went to Berlin and um, they got a mixtape uh, from me on a party and I never I think they will never respond but half a year later 
they called me and said, okay, we want to book you and we have a party, blah, blah, blah. And so um, I was their DJ for, let's say, two years or longer. So I played every venue uh, in Münster. And uh, from there, a lot of people saw, saw me playing there. And then uh, I became more popular and played different or other cities in Germany. Then I did my, my first records uh, on the Belgium label. It was Acid, uh, an Acid record on, uh, on important records. It was in 1994. And, um, and then, um, yeah, it was, it was, I wasn't anymore only a DJ from, from the rural area or from Münster. I was a, was a guy who, who, who did also records. And so, this was, let's say, with, with, these, with these, I did another record on important. So I did two acid records on important records. And this was kind of the first breakthrough to, uh, to um, yeah, to, which, which brought me more uh, in other clubs and festivals. But it wasn't really a breakthrough that I thought, like, okay, now I could make a living out of it. This was uh, four years later when I had my first uh uh, charted in in the German ch uh, sale charts with a with a drum track, and then I thought like, wow, okay, now um, I could go on with it. I could make a living out of it, and I also produced at that time another record, which for a friend of mine, and with this one we went top ten in the official sale charts, and uh, and then my lawyer said, hey, we don't don't stop studying law because then I, I thought like it was a good good uh, idea to start studying law because when I when I'm when I'm done with this uh, electronic music I could be my own lawyer for other people and um, and then he said you know I could, now you have a top 10 records in Germany you have to go on with that and then I I stopped uh, studying uh, law and then I wasn't sure so I went back to university it was a back and forth because I was really unsure because at that time in 1998 um, it wasn't a real job or let's say um, it wasn't like, okay, uh, when, when I said I'm, I'm, I'm DJing or I'm producing music, then the next question was, okay, what else are you doing? From what do you live? Because at that time, it, because at that time, especially in Germany, because, because it's, it's not really uh, an, I don't want to say an arty, arty country, but it's like, it's not common to, 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 um, to go that way and, and it's uh, people are not really supportive now it's it's different but at that time it was it wasn't easy so it's it's interesting that you kind of take it up to around uh you know the mid to late 90s because i was running a nightclub in manchester at the time uh, around that all the way through that period actually right up until 2005 and there was a record by you called you know why and mm -hmm. we had a club, our club was a small sweaty venue and it had two rooms. And in one room we played kind of 4-4, four, four, progressive house, trance, kind of techno, any kind of harder beats, any more European beats. We were kind of European, not American sounding. That was our kind of main room. And our, our second room was a breakbeat room, uh, mm -hmm. playing breakbeat, two-step kind of breakbeat, you know, the big beat mm -hmm. scene, all that kind of stuff. And so we had a kind of 4-4 four, four room and a breakbeat room. That was kind of how we did it. And the music was quite fluid, so we'd change up things, but that was the, that was where the division was. And that was one of those tunes that we could play in either room. And that didn't yeah. happen very often. And yeah. it, it happened because I think I've always seen you and your music is quite, you jump all over the place. There's no real single sound to what you do. Would you say that's kind of a fair way of assessing you and what you produce 
it's it changes it's a, you can you can make a pop record then you can make an underground record you can make a breaky record you can make your sound has always gone all, all over the place and is that is that you is that the way you see the way you you do it are you always chasing something new and trying something different trying to make those records that cross over full on full on it's like yeah it's like um it's it's not about um finding a record which could cross over it's more uh like um mm, when i when i like something um i do it so and then that moment when it feels right i i finish it so and then for sure it could be could be a break beat record but i haven't produced a break track no 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 then we like, were talking a long time it, ago aren't we yeah but yeah right then we, we just it's just like when we when when it feels right, I just do it, and I, I'm and I don't want want to want to put myself in this genre. Like, okay, he's only doing tech house, and he's only doing trance, and he's only doing electro. Um, I know that it's for the people. It's easier to to have a have a picture of you as an artist when you when you're standing just for one one particular sound. But um, for me, um, this was was also pretty uh, different, pretty difficult for me. Because my booking agents, when they, they, they said, okay, now we have a festival and they have a trance room and they have a house room and they have a yeah. techno floor. Where do you want to play? And I said, okay, let's do the house floor. So, um, you know, but it's like, because people come to, sometimes at that time, they were, they were not sure what they can expect. And I, I understand that because when you, when you have a look on the, on the records I, I did, then it's like, uh, um, I don't want to say jumping, but it's like, there is no really like uh, 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 there were there were sometimes there is a story when when I think okay this is a great track I go on with this one and this idea and I will will develop more this sound but when I think okay for that was 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 good at, for, for for it was good for for this time but now let's move on let's try to or let's do something totally different and um, that's it it's, it's the same I, I always compare it with with fashion you know. It's like uh, this year you're more into blue jeans and next year you think, oh, no way, I couldn't wear jeans anymore. I just like this uh, beige pants or these whatever or yellow pants or, you know, sometimes you like more blue, sometimes you like more black, sometimes you like more yellow and it's, it's life. So it's not done you any harm at all over the decades, has it? Because you've been working with some of the biggest names, not only in underground music, but also in in pop music and and through the edm boom you were working with the big names i mean just just from memory uh people like timo mass and planet funk and fisher spooner from back then from when we were talking about back then but more mm. recently well that was a cool time more recently you know steve aoki afrojack Sop, beyonce remixes britney spears and then you had a couple of Big pop hits, didn't you, with Sugar Babes and Girls Aloud, which were actually, I believe, if I remember rightly, right. they were they were your productions that you kind of like, kind of gave to them and worked on with them, and then put them out as tracks. Right. What was that? What was that like? What was it like, kind of going full pop? Was that fun? Did you, you know, was it kind of totally new? How did that feel? It was totally new, and it was uh, a lot of fun because they heard heard this, this record you mentioned. You know why on on. Uh, BBC Radio One, and they said, "Oh, we yeah. want to do a track like this." And then um, they hit me up. The, the producer Brian Higgins said, "Yeah, we we need a track like this, an instrumental." And then I tried to produce something similar, and he said, "No, no, no, this is not the same. We really want to have this track." And then I had to uh, 
um, fly over to, to London and had to reinstall my track because I couldn't produce that sound on, in their studio. I, I don't know why, because it was was not simple, but it was. But anyway, so we did it together, and then um, it ended up as a big sugar rap mm. single. And it was after you know why and the basic track. So on, on which they uh, what they what they sing was um, was my single. It was my track. So it was. It could be also like a nowadays I would do a collaboration because now it's, it's yes, be, yes. You know, it's like everyone is doing it. But at that time it was like okay, they are pop and I'm underground without you know. And I know the, the underground people they they don't they don't like it when I when I did it because now they he's doing a sellout and whatever. But I, I I didn't care and I don't I still don't care because when I like it. When it feels right, like I said, I do it. I mean, it's, it's it's great to hear that attitude. And in a way, you're like I I interviewed. Fatboy Slim a couple of years ago and he's I think got quite a similar attitude to you as far as you know there is really no underground and no overground there's just putting on a great DJ set and getting everyone dancing and playing mm -hmm. for the kids and you know doing what feels right I learned that I learned I learned, yeah, I learned that in from 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 touring in America because before I was very like hmm I couldn't play this and this is doesn't fit or maybe it's too whatever you know And there in America, they don't care. They don't care about if it's cool or if it's not cool. For sure, in in Williamsburg and in other hotspots in, in in America, they 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 think like people from Kreuzberg, Berlin, or Friedrichshain, and so on. America is is a huge country, but um, the the I think normal people who go out on a festival, they just wanna wanna hear a great set. And it, if it's techno. And the story is right. They they party on the techno track or EDM or breakbeat or whatever. So they most mostly they don't think in these kind of genres, and I like that. So there's a couple of mix CDs or mix uh, mixtapes. Let's just call them mixes that you've released commercially or had released commercially that you've been you produced. Mm -hmm. And the two that spring to mind for me are your Ministry of Sound one back in 2000. And don't know 2002 2003 something like that um headliners mm -hmm. when you you really the ministry of sound were getting headline djs to do their own mix compilation and the reason mm -hmm. i remember that is that my business partner steve canueto was working at ministry of sound at the time in the cd compilation studios making sure everything was okay so your paths might have crossed um unbeknown to either of you but also the um the uh Live from Beta Mix, which was on Dead Mouse's label with Beatport, which was like an hour-long mix, I think, which was a bit more recently. Um, both of which actually did you a lot of did a lot for your career, right? A lot, especially the the Mousetrap era. Um, yeah, um, because um, yeah, I did so many so many tracks on Mousetrap. Um, I was the only act uh, next to Dead Mouse and Skrillex who did who did album on Mousetrap, and I did two. And this big live package um, in uh, cooperation with uh, Ableton and and Beatport, because um, it was uh, not only um, a live mix mix CD or a live download mix like a stream. So it was a it was a whole setup, an Ableton setup where you could uh, where in this setup you 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 um, You found all my stems from every track, so you could combine these tracks 
and drums from, let's say, mm, 20 different tracks I produced on Mousetrap. I did in total 36 for Mousetrap, but in this live package, you found 20. And from these 20 tracks, there are um, they were all um, uh, split up in, in, in these stems. So it was was like a really fun thing to play with, to mix drums from Empire, from Lime or Imperial. So all these names are tracks I did on Mousetrap with, with them all together and made a new track out of it. And at that time, it was pretty, pretty new. It was before uh, Pioneer or uh, I don't know who else had these ideas. Before it was... Uh, before they thought of stem mixing, yeah, and it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting time because I'm guessing that that mix and that kind of focus on you at the time was that part of the springboard into getting to play, you know, so many huge festivals. You've played so many big festivals worldwide, and was that part of what kind of launched that for you? Yeah, Mastrop helped me a lot going. Um... Uh, more international. I played a few shows before uh, uh, in, let's say, foreign countries, but before I was only uh, now now in um, Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, the German-speaking countries. And um, but um, these productions, but oh, you know why also brought me. You know, you know why, and my label punks brought me also to Australia in, in the beginning. Uh, in, in let's say two thousand one, two thousand and two, I did four tours in Australia. Each tour was for over a month. So, but these were, were my, my, my um, main markets, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, and Australia. And through Mousetrap, it was also the time when, the, um, you know, when, when, when streaming and the internet and, and uh, whatever beatport became popular. And I was one of these artists. And so a lot of people saw my music, uh, which were not able before because of these download platforms. And so um, this, this brought me to the international market. So one thing I've noticed about you, keep an eye on what, you, what you've been up to over the years, is that you're still very active in your home country. You just recently finished a, you know, a, a multiple date tour around Germany. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of DJs mm-hmm. at your level and at your time in the industry they don't do that. They're not still touring, you know, pretty, pretty heavily in the place they're from. What, what, what's the reason for that? Is it because, you know, have you, well, why, why are you still touring where you come from as well? Is that still important to you? Is there still, what is it about you that means that that's still part of what you do? It's, it's super important. And, um, because yeah, it's, it's where I started and, um, I have, I have all these requests here from, from Germany and I, and it's also because I do uh, three radio shows um, in, in, in Germany. Um, one, the biggest one is on Eins Live. It's, um, it has an average amount of listeners of, let's say, per daytime, 3.5 million. And I have, uh, when I do it on a Sunday evening, we have uh, around half a million. So you reach a lot of people. So that's why also, that's also a reason why. I have so many requests here from, from Germany and I like playing here, but I also like playing uh, different countries. And um, But I talked also to my team and here in Germany and we, we do most of the, the bookings on our own out of Germany. And we have, now we have a new partner also for the rest of the world. And I think next year 
we do we start again doing more also in the states and uh, also in, in Europe and, and in Asia. So you're clearly still very busy. You you have your radio show. You're touring the world and planning more dates for next year. You have your label. You you do mixes and remixes and your your own productions. What do you do to relax? What do you do when it's, when it's time to just recharge your batteries? What do you do that isn't DJing? Mm, I'm doing sports, so let's say workout, but normal stuff, going to the gym or running and, um, yeah, spending time with my wife and uh, our kid. He's now two years old, our son. And um, that's, that's it. And because mm, I really like what I'm doing and it's not like, oh, now I need, need uh, off time or something. I don't feel like that because... Also because I'm, I have a, I have a hand on my my touring schedule. So um, if I don't like to do it um, and it doesn't feel right, I don't do it. So um, I don't have to play two hundred shows a year. One hundred is enough, and it's still a lot. And um, yeah, and also when you when you um, um, yeah when you when you try to 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 having the the travel in your hand and. Uh, like I said, then it's when it when it's. I try to take it easy, you know. I don't make, want to make it too complicated. From touring, from everything, from traveling, and that's why it's not super. Mm. It doesn't, you know. I have the power to do it, to do it both, to do traveling and production, and it, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like work. I do it really. Um, I really like what I really love what I'm doing. So I guess so, I guess for you, yeah. the balance between work and home life is more about considering your family considering your wife and your child and thinking you know what do they need what do we all need together and if it was up to me i'd probably just do this all the time but it's not it, there's more than me there's more than me now to think about uh, is that how you do it you kind of think you know let's right. let's think of everyone together here yeah right so lots of people have different ways of doing this don't they lots of djs at your position in life um have got different ways and some people don't do it very well at no. all uh, you know and they struggle because they they feel the need to keep at a certain level and they're uncomfortable if they if they slack off at all. So would you say your approach to this is just a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more? I will pick and choose what I do. Um, I'm as long as it makes me happy and as long as my family are happy, then that's the most definitely, important thing. Definitely, because we we plan everything together. So if I have a whatever overseas flight, so this upcoming weekend I do two shows in Germany and on a Sunday I fly for. For boat party uh, to New York, but it's only for for a quick in and out. So I do play there on a Sunday, and I'm flying back to Germany on Monday. So I'll be back on Monday evening, and um, yeah, we we plan this together. Or if I have a tour in Asia for two weeks, or I try to to do it only for ten days, so that I'm not too long away. That I'm not too uh, mm. yeah. That I'm not too long away. So it sounds like you you're really together with all of this you're happy the way the way it goes and you're happy with dealing with family life and with DJing and have there ever been times when it wasn't like that have there ever been times when it was hard or when you you feel like mm -hmm. you made some wrong moves and things weren't going well and you had to kind of step back and have a look and get back on the right track definitely so tell me about them definitely. tell me about I one of them my, yeah I had my I had my uh, own booking agency management company two labels uh, I think four studios all in, in one one place, so it was on 250 square meters, and a few people working for me at that time, and it was more about okay, how could I, how could I um, manage it all together that it works, and it worked 
for a long time. It was, you know, in this punks era time. So when I did, you know, why the, the rock freaks get on and uh, and all these tracks. But then um, I, 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 I remember it very well. And then I had a, had this one of these four Australia tours I mentioned before. And I think it was the second or the third one. And I thought, like, well, I can't do this now. I can't. I can't go to Australia now. 24 hours flight and tour there for four weeks, being away from my company and uh, from whatever. And it's, it was too much for me. And um, uh, and I also had, you know, like I was very nervous and I wasn't, it didn't feel right, but I, for sure I, I flew and, and it was in Australia um, and I read a lot of books and so on. And then I went back home and I thought like, wow, this is not, this is not right. What, what's going on here? It's not all about the music anymore. It's more about, you know, keeping it in a way, everything together. And then I, I, yeah, I'm, then I, um, I right, minimized myself. So I, I really get, get, uh, get rid of, of the company of, uh, uh, all these studios and people. So I focused more on for production. And then I started, uh, working with Mousetrap. And at that time I really was, a uh, uh, almost on my own. I just had two booker, uh, two booking agency I worked with, and and me and a friend of mine who, who worked very well together in the studio. So, and from there, um, yeah, it, it felt right again. So, and I'm trying to keep keep this um, um, until now. And it was it started 2008 when it, uh, this master era. Now we are 2019. I'm not as uh, close uh, as before with Mousetrap anymore, but it's more because I'm doing different styles of music right now. But I think there will come the time when I also have a track for them. So, um, yeah, but I like right now more um, having a small setup and focusing on what's, what's really important. So what do you prefer, DJing or producing? Mm, both. Um, uh, it really goes hand in hand. Uh, for sure, I started with DJing. And I love playing long sets. I love playing vinyl. I love playing uh, CDs. I love playing live. And I love playing in front of people because I know how to, 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 uh, to tell music stories. And, um, but I also love um, guiding and producing um, tracks for the club for festival or for radio. So you, they, they, they can't really be separated in your life and that's the way, the way you like it. So there will, there will come the time when I, when I, when I won't tour anymore. Well, this is sure. interesting, but now I was going to ask you about that. What, 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 you know, for instance, you said that you were training as a lawyer and then your lawyer told you to stop, which is pretty cool. Um, but I was talking to <laughs> judge Jules on this podcast and judge Jules is called judge Jules because he was also training to be a lawyer when he became a DJ uh, and now he's gone back to it. Now he mm-hmm. is a music industry lawyer. That's that was his kind of always in his mind that he, what he was going to do next. Do you have any plans for kind of post post DJing or post music, or do you see yourself continuing in some form in this industry for your whole working life? Definitely, because um, I was uh, I had these fears and uh, uh, and thoughts and doubts um, back in the days when I, when I start studying, um, fin- uh, quit studying, start studying. And, you know, I, I did this so many times and, um, and I'm, I'm bored of this, 
when you know like okay what else are you doing of these questions or okay uh, when now you're too old to do this what are you doing now i think this is um this is old-fashioned way of thinking it's more about okay do you really want to do it and do you f still feel it or is it like okay you are bored of this whole this, this whole stuff and and you don't have any ideas or you don't have any power to move on with it then it's for sure the time to do something else or to do nothing and mm -hmm. um yeah and i want to want to go on with it and i'm more creative and i'm doing more records than my whole life before right now I, we my my management said now we have to stop i have to stop producing music because um we have so many rec records already planned for big beat records for healthy for tool room for spin for whatever you know and it's and it's great and it's fun and then i did a did a collaboration with steve aoki for netflix for a manga series in japan so it's great and it feels right it seems to me like you are you're you're, you're producing a very diverse selection of music you've got a lot of diverse tracks coming up from what you just said and mm -hmm. i guess that that keeps you fresh as well right Full on. Otherwise, it's like you know, it's like oh, reading uh, the the whole the, a book uh, you read before ten times. You know, again, and it's like okay, I know how it ends. I know how it ends. And uh, no, I don't want it. I don't want to do this. This is why I'm doing so many different stuff, stuff, stuff. And this is why why I uh, why I know that I'm going on with that for for the next ten years or longer. And another thing is that creativity. So the psychologists say creativity kind of is uh, in someone's life it kind of takes a you so in other words at the beginning of your life you can be very creative in the middle it can be hard and then as you get older it gets easier so it could be that you're going to have you know from here on in it's going to get more and more and more creative and your agent is going to be more and more saying you've got to stop <laughs> you're doing too much it could be that uh, you know picasso at the end of his life was painting more than ever right so i think you could be right i think there is no end to this if you're still feeling it Right. Uh, it's interesting that you said it. So really, is it like, uh, have you read it or is it like, is it, uh, is it? Uh... I, I read it. Yeah, I read it in a book. Um, I, I'm a big fan of the kind of books about the psychology of creativity and that kind of thing. But yeah, it's um, apparently there's a you. So somewhere in the middle, um, people kind of like, kind of, kind of like lose their way a bit. But then if they can push on through that, the, the final push, if you like, the final couple, two or three decades can be the most productive time. And I think they used Picasso as an example and said, if you look at all Picasso's. And I think, I think, I think uh, this could also be me because I had these. Well, there we go. You could, be the, you could be the Picasso of the dance music world, still smashing out those hits into your 70s and 80s. Uh, yeah, why not? I also compare myself, not really like, I don't want to say, okay, I'm the same, but it's like, um, I, I see it in a way like Philip Stark, the design, the designer. He's designing yep. a, um, a toilet, and but he's also designing the the new Louis Vuitton store um, in Paris. So um, why not? And it it's all Philip Stark. Mm. And and I, I think you're probably summing yourself up quite well there. In that by not pigeonholing yourself, by not only doing the same thing for. 20 or 30 years not only are you preserving your creativity but you are keeping people on their toes they don't know what you're going to do next but it's still going to look like or sound like <laughs> yeah, you but, but, I, but i tell you Phil, you know there was a time when it wasn't easy you know especially when you know everyone was in this euphoric love parade uh feeling and then um 
I think it was it was uh, during or after 9/11. After 9/11, every everything was different. Then in Berlin, it starts it starts uh, this minimal techno started becoming becoming popular, and we were all in this whatever euphoric dance music. And this, I asked myself the question: Okay, what am I doing now? So I had my uh, how, how do you say before uh, this uh, um, this part in between the uh, so. Um, the kind the, of the kind of creative dip, the kind of bit at the bottom of you, right? I have this many yeah. times, many times. Mm. But well, but anyway, now, I, I don't feel it anymore. And that's good. <laughs> that's awesome. It's good good news for your fans. Uh, I, I think a, a nice way to end this, a nice place to end this chat. Um, okay. And thank you very much for taking the time. Would be this: you played at the Love Parade in front of what seven hundred fifty thousand people. So, so for those people who don't know, yeah. the Love Parade was. In Berlin, the Berlin Wall came down in the 90s. Berlin was reunified and the Love Parade kind of came out of those times and it was a, a it was it was in the streets. It was like a festival, it was unity. It was a techno festival, right? That went for several years and you played in front of 750,000 people at the Love Parade. What was that like? Um it was crazy. It was crazy because, um, yeah, they uh, at that time there we we didn't have so many festivals, so huge festivals like 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 uh we have nowadays, but uh, also for today, seven hundred fifty thousand is a lot. And when they announced myself, like, hey, now I was playing uh, Mogwai from Germany, and you start playing, it's like was was crazy, you know, all over the place, only only people. And uh, but it was um, also uh, I, I didn't didn't think about too much about okay, now I'm playing for so many people. It was more like okay, how can I do the mixing proper because it was very windy, and at that time I played I played vinyl. Vinyl and it started and it started raining. So um, anyway, I made it and it was was a was fun fun time, especially the last time in Berlin. So you're playing you're playing in the wind and the rain on vinyl in front of <laughs> three quarters of a million people. If you can pull that off, I think you've you've proved yourself as a DJ, right? That's a... yeah, right. This is this is a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is Mogwai. Thank you very, very much for spending some time with us today. It's an inspirational story. It's awesome to think that we're looking forward to, you know, the best is yet to come from you. Um, and certainly as a fan for a long time, I'm looking forward to hearing that stuff. Thank you for taking your time uh, with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for the nice talk. It was really nice also to think about all these um, things and times again, because I don't talk about this anymore so often. Because of you know, the world moves very quickly. It moves very quickly, doesn't it? And we can forget. Yeah, it was, it was fun talk. Really, I like it. Brilliant. Well, thank you again for your time. Thank you, Phil. Thank you very much. Thank you.